Hey everyone, this is Jeff from Elite HRV. I just want to say a few things before we dive into the episode. The first thing is that this episode was recorded back in January of 2020. That's when Jason sat down with Dr. Gronsky. So this is uh, actually pre-worldwide uh, uh, pandemic. Um, so keep that in mind as you're listening to this. Um, the other thing I just want to say is a quick bio on uh, Dr. Gronsky. So Dr. Susie Gronsky is specializing in men's pelvic and sexual health. Um, Susie Gronsky is a licensed doctor of physical therapy, certified pelvic rehabilitation practitioner, international teacher, author, and creator of one-to-one and self-paced health programs that help men with pelvic pain becoming experts in treating themselves. So you can learn more about her at drsusieg.com. Okay, that's all I wanted to say, and uh, let's jump into the episode. I hope you enjoy this one. Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. Welcome back to the Elite HRV Podcast. This is your host, Jason Moore, and today we have a unique episode for many reasons. Uh, For one, we are in person and recording. This is a new uh, experience for me, so yay. Um, But also because we have Dr. Susie Gronsky with us. Did I pronounce your last name correctly, Susie? Close, Gronsky. Gronsky. You're all good. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So Susie's here in person with me. This is great to be able to like look into your face while we record. And I also really appreciate you taking the time out of your clinical practice to come see me and share your knowledge with us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited. This is exciting for me. Very new to be in person and having a podcast, all this fancy equipment. (laughs) Yeah. You know, for for folks listening, you can imagine um, we managed to locate some fancy microphones and uh, got this whole setup going here. But um, one of the reasons why I'm very excited is because Susie and I connected actually not uh, professionally first. It was actually through mutual friends and discovered that we had a mutual interest in the nervous system of all things and also the human body and kind of taking a bigger picture approach to improving the human body. And then I learned later that Susie actually specializes in a very unique aspect of the human body that is sometimes seen as taboo and also uh it's just difficult to talk about in certain scenarios. And what I learned is that Susie does a great job of breaking down those social barriers and getting to the the meat of things, so to speak. Um, But Susie, why don't you tell us briefly what your practice is all about? Thank you so much, Jason. So I'm a pelvic health physical therapist or pelvic health physio. And what that means is that I help people who have issues in their pants. So anything related to the foundation, right? Your genitals, the mu- there's muscles down there. The pelvis in itself is important for pooping, peeing, and sex. Three, very important and very physiologically physiological basic needs of everyday function. And when something goes on down there, like 
peeing in your pants when you don't want to or pooping in your pants when you don't want to or when your parts don't sexually function correctly when you want to, then that can be quite distressing to anyone experiencing that. And so there is help for things that go awry down there. And that's what I do. Awesome. And that's, you know, like I said, I was kind of dropping some hints in the intro that this is a subject that can be kind of socially awkward and things like that. But um, those basic functions are things that we can all relate to, obviously, and I'm not telling you that as a surprise, (laughs) but um, just kind of helping, again, break down some of the barriers that all of us have to deal with these things. Um, If you're listening to this podcast, I pretty much guarantee you have to deal (laughs) with these things. Right. And not necessarily, there's obviously a spectrum of dysfunction and function, Mm -hmm. but um, one of the things that really struck me as interesting when we were talking and setting up is that you said, maybe we could define like what the pelvis is and why we should care about it. That was kind of scratching the surface, but what, what is the pelvis and why? Yeah. So the pelvis, if you were to put your hands on your hips and feel the bony parts of your hips, that would be considered the wings of your pelvis. And then you also have the sit bones that you're sitting on. So those would be part of the pelvis as well. So the pelvis is a ring in terms of a bony structure. Uh, It can be uh, all shapes and sizes for different people, of course, but you have the bony landmarks of the pelvis and then you have your pubic bone in front, right? And then the spine, which is the sacrum or the end part of the spine that makes up the back so you know you have this three-dimensional ring uh, structure for the bony structure but then you also have soft tissue so like you have the genitals you also have the bowl or the pelvic diaphragm which is um, compromised of muscle connective tissue nerves blood vessels veins um, you name it and then you also have the organs that are housed within the pelvic bowl which if you know if you're female-bodied you have the bladder the uterus and the rectum and if you're male-bodied you have the bladder and the prostate and the rectum so it just it depends on who you are Uh, but these the pelvis in itself has a very important role I like to call it the five S's so support stability sphincteric control sexual appreciation and some pump function (laughs) as you can imagine (laughs) (laughs) so it is literally the foundation of our core and when we talk about the core oftentimes this part of our body is overlooked Mm because we're so focused on six-pack abs or the back but we're forgetting about the bottom (laughs) of the canister of our torso which is the pelvis and it works intricately with breathing mechanics your diaphragm and your hips because you have hips that and hip muscles that work within and, and and live within the pelvic bowl as well and they all kind of work synergistically together so yeah they're really important and i also mentioned this earlier but Again, pooping, peeing, and sex, very important functions. Yeah. And this is the part of the body that deals with that. Right. No, that's great. The five S's really helps break it down. Kind of, you know, people might have been able to relate to pooping, peeing, and sex, right? But then it's like, well, how deep can we go with this subject, right? And with the five S's, you can see that it actually provides a lot more, it's integrated a lot more into the rest of our body than we might think. Absolutely. Even vocalization, singing. Yes. (laughs) If you ask, I I know a a professional uh, singing teacher who works at university and she teaches her, all her students about the pelvic floor and the pelvic muscles because that helps to regulate um, vocal cord exertion. Uh, Again, pressure systems in the body and... And yeah, so you can change how deeply you sing and how you project your voice 
manipulating your uh, pelvic area, like working with the pelvic muscles and those pressure dynamics. Wow. I did not realize that was singing. Um, and here I was just adjusting, <laughs> trying to make my voice sound better on this podcast with these little dials. But When all you have to do is do a Kegel. No, I'm kidding. That's right, right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if I can offer two more examples of my limited knowledge in this area, one is that we just had a baby about eight and a half months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that really strongly brought the pelvis onto our radar for my wife and I mm-hmm. um, and her preparations throughout pregnancy and even before pregnancy and then leading through the birth and the recovery from the birth were almost all centered around the pelvis. Yep. And there was a lot of new therapy techniques that I hadn't heard of that we were learning about and things like that. And then if we, so that's like one end of the spectrum from my life. The other end of the spectrum is that I really like to study and practice body weight exercise, including gymnastics movements and things like that. And so um, I've heard some pretty high level elite gymnastics coaches say like some of the secrets to the harder uh, gymnastics movements where you have really bad leverage with your uh, position, so to speak, things like a planche and a a lever if people are into gymnastics like the missing piece usually is the pelvic floor control that uh, for like the ability to go from like a noob like me to Mm. uh, a pretty good gymnast well that's interesting that you bring up gymnastics because i think this is an interesting stat for everyone to know is that gymnasts have 40 to 50 percent um, chance or they actually experience 40, 50% of gymnasts experience leaking incontinence. Wow. Athletes experience incontinence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Olympic weightlifters experience incontinence. Trampolinists experience incontinence. So I think the message here is that it's not an age thing. Mm-hmm. The older you get or after I had a baby, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes over here. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not. It, we really need to broaden this conversation and really open up um, uh, these topics to to the mainstream because it's very important. A lot of us like live in isolation, thinking like, "What's wrong? You know, what's wrong with me?" And I need to be wearing a pad. And and again, if you think about gymnasts and athleticism, if you're leaking, how yeah. is that going to impact your performance? Are you going to be feeling very confident right. in your ability to do those movements when you can't? You, you don't feel safe, you know, controlling your bodily fluids. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a big deal. And like I said, uh, 40 to 50% of athletes will experience um, incontinence. And there is help for that. You don't have to be leaking um, doing those activities. And in fact, very strong evidence to support that pelvic health therapy uh, is the number one, quote, cure. And I don't, I say this lightly, you know, lightly, because there isn't much of a cure for anything, except when we're dealing with incontinence, Mm. pelvic therapy is actually quite up there in terms of, yeah, we can really, we can really say we can make some pretty amazing changes and a cure. And I say again, yeah, in bunny quotes, but uh, yeah, so. That's awesome. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, not awesome that so many people get that, but but awesome that there's, you know, a way to address it. And uh, absolutely, absolutely. Because it's not about like haggling or doing your contraction. And and I think let me take your listeners through a little experiential exercise here. Um, So, you know, for everyone out there, go ahead and kind of sit kind of, you know, steady on your seat, find a comfortable seat, sit on your sit bones, feel them. You can also put a hand underneath like your pelvis or in the sit bone area and feel your muscles in action. Go ahead. You can cough. You know, mm-hmm. pretend like you're laughing or even say uh, a word like shh or grrr or, you know, play with vocalizations. Go ahead, Jason, do it. Oh, and you then know what? 
<laughs> now that I'm paying attention, yeah. your analogy to having the singing in the in the pelvic floor, like I notice it right away. Right? Crazy. And it changes. <laughs> now go ahead. So so f- feel what happens in your body when you do Okay, so have that in your mind and now go What did you notice? <laughs> uh, they're similar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a slightly different activation. <laughs> Correct. Right. One is a little bit more tensing and the other one feels like it's a little bit more lengthening. Right. Like, yeah. um, and that changes again with activity. So just to get your listeners, the listeners aware of like, well, what are these muscles and how can I find them? That's one fun way to have an, uh, an experience in your own body to say, can I feel these muscles activating? Because it is often a lack of like awareness that these muscles and this part of our body actually does something until something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And then we're like, wait a second, this is (laughs) not cool. I'm peeing on myself. I don't think so. Sex hurts. Uh, uh, you know? So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunately pain that motivates like the strongest out of many things. Absolutely. Attention for change. Yep. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The body's like, you know what? Enough is enough. We've had this dysfunction probably a lot longer than we noticed. Mm -hmm. Um, alarm systems go. <laughs> That's right. Cue in the nervous system for protection. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and I imagine there's so much we could unpack here. Um, and I can just imagine now like all those years or hours throughout the years that I just sat on the couch and kind of let my pelvis just relax and become jelly or whatever, that that was probably not setting myself up for, uh, positive outcomes in the future. But luckily through happenstance, I became aware of it before it became a problem. But um, let's relate the pelvis to some of the other systems in the body, because that was something that also fascinated me when we talked previously Mm -hmm. about, I did not realize how integrated it was with the digestive system or other systems in the body. So maybe a quick bullet point list of some of the major systems that integrate or are affected by the pelvis. And then we can sort of you know, choose to unpack them a little bit. Right. That's awesome. So one of the obvious ones is um, bladder function. So your bladder, uh, again, digestive health, because the rectum is sitting nestled right there in the Mm -hmm. pelvis. So constipation would be one issue that someone might have Mm. with pelvic Mm -hmm. issues as well, or pelvic issues correlating with digestive function. We don't know what came first, chicken or the egg, or what comes first, the chicken or the egg, but we know that there's a correlation. Um, The low back, uh, there's a high correlation of low back pain with pelvic uh, floor dysfunction or pelvic issues as well, and vice versa. Again, what came first, we don't know, but we know there's a correlation with that. Um, you also have, you know, the abdomen, the abdominal, um, co- you know, contents. So you, you, small intestine, large intestine, and the diaphragm, like I mentioned, the diaphragm and the pelvic diaphragm work synergistically together for um, postural support and stability. Um, and then I mentioned the hips and the hip joints uh, as well. And, all, and of course, the big one, er, genital function, you mm-hmm. know, um, being able to have sexual appreciation and orgasm uh, with those parts with um, your sexual tissue. And so that is really important as well. And then, you know, again, I could go up to the cranium and, you know, the esophagus <laughs> like, all the way up to the cranium because it's all about pressure systems. So I would say that the pelvis plays a pretty, pretty important role in everything above it and everything below it, uh, including your feet. And mm-hmm. that's in- it's another interesting thing I want to say about like pelvis is 
you know, foot fetishes are a thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because in your, so it, it, the brain itself has what they call as a homunculus, which is a virtual body map of, um, in the brain, right? So mm-hmm. each part of our body has a representation or what I like to call real estate uh, uh, designated to certain parts of it. So for motor and sensory function. And your genitals are very close to your feet. Oh, wow. <laughs> in your brain. So uh, some people might have this experience of when they orgasm, they curl their toes or um, they just find footwork very arousing or erotic. And so, you know, there is a correlation between, you know, pelvic muscles and pelvic area to your feet. Huh. I thought that was really interesting. That so. is like, in, it's, <laughs> I, I, I kind of... Things like that are just really interesting because when you start to put like the science behind it in play, you know, for one, it sort of takes a taboo subject and makes it like more accessible to Mm -hmm. people, especially if they happen to be very sensitive to that type of activity or something. And they're like, am I weird or, you know, what's going on here? But then it's also cool just to understand how weird the body is in general. (laughs) It's complex. Yeah, it's complex. (laughs) It's got uh, so many moving parts. And that's just so funny that the brain having that kind of close center there, it could be a very simple explanation for something that people find interesting. Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. So, you know, all systems of the body, to go back to your question, are involved with, you know, the pelvis, the vascular system, the hormonal systems, the lymphatic systems. Um, Really, it's all connected. This Mm -hmm. is an ecosystem that is adaptable and living and even bacteria like gut microbiome um, with the urinary tract microbiome. There's a huge influence on that as well. And so we, you know, when when you're working on improving your health in this area or in general, we're, we are looking at all those systems that might interplay in the environment or what I like to call that the culmination of events leading to the perfect storm <laughs> of, of things because mm-hmm. it's not so linear and it's not really black and white. And unfortunately, us humans, we like something happens. We want to point the finger at something that we just did that caused it. And right. it's not that simple and, and cut and dry when it comes to like the human body because pain in itself or any sensation in our body is, is really... Um, has to do with consciousness, perception, a sense of embodiment, interoception, and 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 your uh, you know salience and detection of like is this a threat to me? You know, obviously when I deal with pelvises and mm-hmm. we all have them, it's a big deal when something goes wrong down there. And mm-hmm. there's it can be quite scary when there aren't any answers or explanations or normalcy around just talking about our pelvic and private parts. So yeah, you know, and that's something that. I know that a lot of your work has also specialized in male pelvic health mm-hmm. because I, well, I won't pretend to know why why <laughs> I know because but one of the things that I think is interesting about that is that specifically for kind of masculine culture there's a lot of tabooness around uh, admitting that you have any problems right. or that <laughs> you could improve in that area or, mm-hmm. or talking about it with anyone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you being a lady, um, also is an interesting elephant in the room. Dynamic Let's get that out there. In there right? <laughs> right. So, um, but I think like just through our interactions too, is like you make this subject so approachable. And I think that to me, that really highlights one of the key things that we've been saying here about relation to systems in the body. And that if you can't calm the nervous system and you can't relax and, uh, and allow, you know, I'm talking way above my own head here, but if you can't 
allow there to be slack in the system, mm-hmm. so to speak, down there, mm-hmm. then to me that would be, it'd be hard to recover. And I know that even just translating from like any muscle injury, for example, if you have too much tension in the system, like that muscle has a hard time recovering. Um, but maybe you could talk about how the nervous system and other pieces play a role there. Absolutely. And great topic. I would great topic that you brought up about um, accessibility to care for men's health and sexuality because you're right there is a lack of outlets and there's a lack of support uh, and also a lot of stigma and pathologizing maybe even normal things you know like for example experiencing performance anxiety sometimes Mm -hmm. like that's a normal thing based on context and when you talk about the nervous system it's all about context and whether or not you feel safe to be vulnerable is this you know your brain and your nervous system is always looking out for you and filtering information moment by moment what's important and what's not important Mm -hmm. right and and basing that on risk to benefit ratio right did you even have this experience before is this something new you know and even our learned experiences of conditioning condition responses to certain um events or things that we experience and so that is all being processed at the same time so the input and the output is intimately working simultaneously together and influencing one another and so you know going down going to like the pelvic region again once bitten twice shy there's something that goes wrong there doesn't function like it's supposed to now it's becoming this emotionally a driven experience that neurologically creates changes in your brain. And we know that with persistent pain, and I'm not talking acute pain here, but with chronic pain or persistent pain, pain that persists for greater than three to six months, that there are neurological changes that occur at the tissue level, spinal cord level, and brain level. Wow. And we need to address all those levels uh, to to really help with recovery at that point. And as you can imagine, anything that's happening down there, it's like a double whammy, mm-hmm. right? It's not just like, I can show my thumb. If I, um, you know, hit my thumb or smash it in a door, like I can rub it, I can touch it, right. and I can tell people about it. Who are you going to do? Th- who are you going to talk to about your private right. parts? Yeah, you don't really go social, you know, say, hey, you know, I, <laughs> I'm just not working down there. Right. And it hurts. Just, just wanted, <laughs> hey, buddy, I just wanted you to know that. Right. <laughs> right. Hey, by the way, how's your penis doing? He's like, mine is just like really hurting. Like, have you had that? I mean, we're not even looking to compare our parts to other people's right. parts. And so there's a lot of shame that goes around with, with that part of our body. And I think the less that we can feel ashamed of that and know that, that it is more common than we think to experience, you know, a strain or a sprain or a muscle pull down there. I mean, those are all quite common things that you can experience. But again, how often do you get messages of distress coming from your private parts to your brain? Not a lot. And so it's kind of like if somebody had um, a heart attack, do you feel your heart hurt? No. What do you feel? You feel numbness tingling in your hand, shoulder, you're having all sorts of chest pain. Your brain's just trying to make sense of a situation and it's going to pull together all the information in that area Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the same time and try to like say, hey, we need help down, you know, we need help here. So um, really, again, the brain is always trying to protect you. It's always always weighing the world for you as well. Mm -hmm. So it's assessing the situation. And whenever there's more credible evidence for threat to you, to your body, to you as a person, to your family, to your career, to your lifestyle, et cetera, you're going to have protection. And one of those forms of protection is pain. 
And you also have other forms, right? Like your immune system, digestive system that changes, respiratory rate changes, heart rate changes, muscular um, contraction changes, tension, you know, your ability to move, the behaviors that we do, our mood, all of those things are part of the greater picture when it comes to protection. Yeah, it's it's crazy when when you're going through all those integrations of systems and all those examples. Another way that I can see, especially for people who are into like exercise and things like that is like on the one hand the social thing of like yo bro i could have lifted more <laughs> if i didn't pee my pants right right but and then at the same time though if you take break down that sort of half joke that i just said there is that it would it's true right so like if you're worried about incontinence and you can't relax certain muscles and uh create the right tension in other muscles, exactly. then you are going to lift less. Yep. And so actually, the, and another, taking that even further, they, they say that the best sprinters in the world, like the people who win at the Olympics, mm-hmm. are the ones that actually can relax all of the muscles that they are Whoa. not using <laughs> yeah. to propel themselves forward. Yes. Right? And so like the ones that they're, you can get pretty high and uh, good at sprinting while being completely tense, but you're going to hit a ceiling that's much lower than the people who can relax the muscles that appropriately. The that's other right. I love that because they're using their energy efficiently, mm-hmm. right? Because muscles muscles not only contract, but they have to actively link it. So you can concentrically contract, you know, or squeeze a muscle and you can actively link them or eccentrically use a muscle, right? Mm-hmm. And, the, and again, muscles love tensile load. Like that's mm-hmm. how they improve in efficiency and in their viscoelastic properties and all that fun stuff. And we need to use them appropriately. So it's not always about building, building, building. And it's, it's about balance between contracting and letting go so that you have optimal motor coordination and control and stability and stamina and endurance to be able to tolerate varying degrees of challenges, different loads, different um, variabilities. Like it's all about being variable in the way we do things and the best people that that are good at their their sports or um like shooting a a gun are are those that are able to um they did like emg studies and i can't remember who or what but i know that those that show more greater variability in their muscle activity tend to do the best in terms of performance so it's it's not about being consistent it's about how um how uh, variable can you be in your tolerance to different situations like the better you can do that the better you'll be at your at whatever it is that you're doing Um, and same with the pelvis like uh some guys think i need to kegel i need to improve my erections by tensing 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 Mm. and and i have seen i have worked with men who've done too much of that and Mm -hmm. cause an injury just like you would any other part of your body and like i said it is more alarming when it's down there but it's not about tensing and and contracting um to get the best performance it's about coordination um and function and um using that to optimize optimize your health so Wow. Anyway. No, no, that's that's huge. One of the things that one word in my mind that relates to this that has been really a potent word for me in my life uh, lately is helping me create like a one word framework around a lot of things is diversity. Mm-hmm. And so when I talk, when I think about nutrition, if people are like, what's one word that you that I should be applying to my nutrition? I'm like diversity. What's one word to to my movement? Diversity. What's one word to my social interactions? Diversity, yes. right? Like mm-hmm. what's one way to invest my money? 
diversity, diversity <laughs> right? And so uh, I think that that word is pretty potent and there's probably exceptions you can find somewhere in nature, but nature tends to favor diverse exactly. uh, experiences. Because it makes them stronger, right? Because mm-hmm. they're able to be ward off certain um, potentially harmful situations, right? And and they're, adaptab- they're adaptable as well within that diversity. And I think it's empowering people to know like, let, let's 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 feel fluid in our bodies to be able to adapt because the more fearful we are around doing certain activities, particularly with pain, we're actually over recruiting muscles. And it's it's the message out there that's saying like, no, you should strengthen your core more. You got back pain, strengthen your core, get stronger, you're weaker. And we're looking at all those things. But what we're re- really realizing through the research is that that doesn't matter. It's actually they're over recruiting. They're, they're tensing mm. too much. They're bracing. Because if you think about it, if you're scared to do a movement, mm-hmm. your behavior is going to be quite rigid. Like the oh, way yeah. you move in your body is going to be quite cautious. And when you're cautious, you're not comfortable. And that's posing more harmful opportunities in fact you know instead of feeling like can i breathe through this movement can i lessen the fear around what i'm doing so that i can feel efficient to move and fluid and and diverse Mm -hmm. uh, you know fluid to excuse me to be fluid in my movement in certain diverse situations so i think that should be the message of like let's not point everything that's wrong with people well let's just use their strengths help them feel safe in their body lessen the fear about what's going on in their bodies so that they can be more um so they can persevere and feel more resilient in the face of adversity wow yeah and so if we kind of wrap these subjects and bring them back towards the pelvis in a way is that like there's a lot of things from social and emotional, mm-hmm. uh, psychological things to digestive things, which like I can't help myself adding this. Like I was researching the microbiome like a year or two ago in a little bit greater depth and found that like motility is a big, it's a really important part mm-hmm. of a healthy microbiome in, in your gut. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking at like, um, and I'm just a nerd for this stuff, so I don't know why, you know, but... Um, basically if you're curious about what could cause like a bacterial overgrowth, that lack of motility might be something that could be contributing to it. And then that in and of itself brought me back to the mechanics of movement in a way. And I didn't even really dive deep on the pelvis or anything, but that when you have, uh, an overgrowth and dysfunction in the gut, you tend to carry more tension in all mm-hmm. the surrounding tissues and then that can lead to mobility issues, which then mobility and motility kind yeah. of go hand in hand. Uh-huh. And so that was uh-huh. a, like a little bit of a uh, tangent, but... Not a tangent at all, actually, because you have muscles of the pelvis that regulate like opening the back door so you can poop. Okay. And again, that could be a reflexive, like if things hurt or if you're feeling bloating or if you're paradoxically tensing instead of re- like lengthening the pelvis or the pelvic muscles like coordination right Mm -hmm. when you're on the toilet that's going to impact motility and mobility of your gut and so there's this again this very intimate relationship synergistic relationship with the pelvis and the rest of our body and the rest of our body with our pelvis (laughs) yeah so synergistic yeah that's another good word to describe a lot of things Mm -hmm. in biology and nature synergy um so quick question. Mm-hmm. This will be a, like a, a squatty potty. Yes or no? Yes. 
Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. There is science behind it. It makes sense. It's just, it's an optimal advantage to help lessen um, the natural, uh, the natural workings of the pelvic muscles. Cause they act like a sling around the tubes that empty your, you know, um, bowel and bladder. Mm -hmm. uh, when you sit on the toilet and these days I, well, you know, in, and it, actually the toilets that I sit on are way too high for me. I'm, I'm five foot tall. So mm -hmm. it's like <laughs> everything is too big for me. But, um, when that happens, like you're in a very, you're in a, like an upright seated position, which it does, you know, l relax down there somewhat. But if you look at other countries, there they squat mm -hmm. to drop, okay? And that is what research has been showing. This is a very good way to poop, uh, mm -hmm. really, because it ha helps to lessen the tension around the structures that, you know, clamp down to kind of keep these tube continent, which are great. You want them when you're walking around and doing your activities. But right. when you're trying to eliminate um, and go on the toilet, then certainly we want to optimize function. So yes, squatty potty, there's science behind it and it actually makes the flow much easier. Cool. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> helpful. And um, uh, also nice because I've been using one for years now and I was like, uh oh, am I going to learn that this wasn't something I was supposed to be doing? But it seemed right to me to especially after using it for a while, seemed to be a lot more comfortable. One of the mm -hmm. things early, early on that I noticed was that my ankle mobility was still like lacking a little bit. Mm. And so the ability to get into a really deep squat was challenging. Mm -hmm. And then it wasn't, I wasn't able to relax as much as I would have liked. So working on my ankle mobility translated then to a better, a more comfortable deep squat which then to me made the squatty potty easier to use. <laughs> right. And and that's a good point that you bring up that is, you know, not there isn't a one size fits all for anybody. And so if you are finding it difficult to get into a, a you know, knees above your uh, hips position or the thinker pose for, for pooping, mm -hmm. um, you know, modify it there 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 is no these are not rules you mm -hmm. know um you need to listen to your body and kind of find out what works for you and if putting nothing under your feet works for you then that's fine too you know again um it's all about having options and playing with these options to see what's what works best for your own individual body and your comfort so there isn't one way of doing things but i like that you brought up the ankle mobility because the nerves that go down to your feet are the same nerves that are communicating with your pelvic organs. Uh, okay. It's the sacral nerves, mm -hmm. right? S, S1, 2, 3, and 4, keep your poop and pee off the floor. Those are the, <laughs> those are the same Those are the same nerves that innervate your legs and go down to your feet. And, and so there's, there's a lot of connections to be said there. Yeah, wow. So when people come to you, um, I guess let's... Uh, break down like two sort of main groups. There's people who are seeking help and there's people who may know that something's wrong, but they may have just been listening to this podcast because they already liked Elite HRV, but didn't know that they might have something going on mm -hmm. yet. Um, is I don't know where I was going with that question, but basically we'll start with the people who come to you seeking help. What is typical about those people in the sense that do they have pain? Do they have... Um, some type of performance goal or what, what is it that brings them to you? 
Got it. Great, great question. So why would you seek help for issues down there? When to seek help? What yeah. are some common... That's a better way to frame it. <laughs> um, common things that people might experience or come uh, seek out help for. Um, pain across the board, again, all genders for sure. Uh, any type of discomfort. Um, any change in sexual function. So whether that be um, the ability to perform uh, for a man to, to have um, penile function, um, like erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation. Um, so that those kinds of changes as well. Um, of course it's not just a physical thing that might attribute to that so i just want to mention that it's it's again we're looking at it from a biological psychological and sociological point of view um, for that person Mm -hmm. for all these issues um so that's one and same thing for female bodies um you know there can be um difficulty with orgasm there can be pain with orgasm there can be pain with any type of insertion within the vaginal um, canal or touch of the vulvar tissues um there difficulty inserting a tampon or Mm -hmm. um having pap smear exams be very painful you know and all these things i think people think are quote unquote normal um they might be common but they're certainly not normal and we can certainly make things better mm. and so we don't have to avoid that right mm-hmm. um so those are some things and, and my practice is primarily focused on um people who have pain in that region but also and we mentioned incontinence uh, constipation mm-hmm. uh, digestive issues and, and so forth um and um other things like for women, prolapse uh, is another one that might be out there where um, the best way I can describe it is when the organs of the pelvis, so bladder, uterus, or rectum, begin to make their way out towards the path of least resistance mm. down the wow. vaginal canal. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems scary, but again, common, and often many women are asymptomatic. There's a lot of factors that go into that, but there's help for that as well. So if there's any pressure feeling, uh, pressure pressure feeling or something of falling out of the vagina feeling, then that's something to certainly take um, getting help for. Um, What else? Low back pain is another one. Mm -hmm. Um, Hip groin pain, hip pain, um, a lot of quote unquote labral tears uh, and so forth. There's a lot of connections between the pelvis and the hip. So we can often ameliorate a lot of hip and groin uh, pain by just addressing um, the pelvis. Mm hmm. And tailbone pain, you know, so right. yeah, yeah, all, all sorts of, of things. And I'm sorry if I forgot some things, but those are the ones that come to mind. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of inputs. And I'm curious when, because, you know, you introduced yourself as a physical therapist and it's clear that your practice and the way that you think about this is beyond just mechanics and exercises, basically. Correct. How much of, would you say of your approach? I know it's probably case dependent, but is like physical therapy as people might think of that or and how much of it is looking at a lot of other things <laughs> right and i think that would depend on what definition what what well, how are we defining physical therapy right is okay, it purely yeah. like biomechanics is it so there are many ways to define you know it, basically we're working with a human individual and in my approach is working with that person who's experiencing something stressful in their life or an inability to do something that they love um or or emotionally st- distressing most often it's a combination of both right Mm -hmm. i can't do x y and z that's stressing me out they start to avoid the activities that they used to love to do then you have social isolation and depression and sadness and anxiety and all sorts of things that may go on with a change in life uh, in a negative direction and so i i like to just say I, i use the framework of a biopsychosocial model 
Again, biolo the biology, which is the tissues, the load of the tissues, the um, even the cellular aspects of, of health, which, you know, if I feel like that's part of that person's picture, I will refer out at that point. I don't mm. I don't claim to do everything. Right, <laughs> I can't. Right, it would right. be impossible. <laughs> and I don't want to <laughs> because there's so much like there's so many intricacies of the human body. So the biological aspects, the psychological aspects, I'm not a psychologist, but I do practice. I do incorporate a lot of psychologically informed treatment strategies strategies into my sessions with people because we are working with people, human beings who are coming in with something that is distressing them and causing them suffering. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like you can have pain, but not suffer. Right. And I'm not seeing those people. I'm seeing those people that are suffering mm -hmm. with whatever it is that's going on for them. Right. And so I think that's the role as a, um, a healthcare provider for that person is to, uh, to help, um, you know, make li life suck a little less and get them to feel more empowered and um, capable of doing the things that they once thought were impossible. So I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question, yeah. but that's basically how I would approach. So the psychology and then social aspects to pain, right? The mm -hmm. interpersonal context, the social cultural context of which the these um, experiences are um, swimming in essentially because you oh, can't yeah. separate the two. So yeah. So, yeah. So it is, you know, it's hands on, it's movement. There's a lot of sensory integration. There's a lot of sensory integration with safe touch, with movement. But there's also a lot of mindful uh, awareness practices. I do use heart rate variability training in a lot of my sessions with biofeedback tools, um, yours included. Nice. I, I think they're amazing tools because it's all about regulating. It's, it's decreasing the alarm bells of the nervous system and creating a better balance between the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. And what we know about the pelvis it is predominantly sympathetically driven mm, wow, okay, okay. Yep. Uh, lots of new research coming out on that it used to be thought that there was parasympathetic and sympathetic outflow what we know is more it's all sympathetic outflow right now wow. so if we can if we can increase the tone or the strength of the parasympathetic nervous system in terms of dominance then that will create safety in someone's body mm, right so wow. again muscle tension protection that's sympathetic driven right mm -hmm. we want to kind of relax bring more awareness, proprioception, kinesthetic awareness, and a sense of safe embodiment for that person. And we do that through the nervous system. And whenever I put my hands on someone or somebody puts their hands on anybody, it's context driven and you're providing sensory information to their nervous system. Mm -hmm. The skin is a huge neural organ. <laughs> we miss it. We're, we're, we're going right past it to go, let's get that psoas. Or, you know, it's mean, <laughs> right, like, right, come right. on, people. Get straight to the... Uh, yeah, let's get know, a, uh, knee, a, a, an elbow in the piriformis. You know, it's like, <laughs> what? Like, what, what are you doing? Like, just work, work with that person's skin. Work with their nervous system. And you're supporting them versus fixing them mm, okay you're using yeah. your hands to support that person and allow their nervous system to self-regulate and especially important is to give them the tools to do that themselves wow yeah that makes sense yeah th that's something we should unpack a little bit more too because you know again just bringing this back around to underlying all of this has been a psychological emotional you have better words for this than me but you know basically relating the feelings of the individual to the situation and mm -hmm. we're talking about putting our hands on people and we're talking about the pelvis yeah and we're talking about self-care yep. as well yep. and there's a lot of barriers to break down there yeah um and so it sounds like maybe I don't know, this is just a random hypothesis. One of the tendencies to want to go deep into some muscle that we can't see or 
you know, that seems like some scientific thing that it needs like a, a drill to drill into mm-hmm. um, means that I can kind of put a barrier around the like emotional and like human touch side of the equation and be like, yeah, this is more like surgery. I'm coming in here for surgery, right? I'm not involved in this process Mm -hmm. versus touching somebody on their skin sounds much more personal to me. So maybe, I don't know, you could break down like how do people start getting over those hurdles? Yeah, yeah. I think it's shifting from a mentality of find it and fix it and looking at people as just body parts mm-hmm. um, because we're not just body parts. We're all interconnected, interdependent, right? And that person's experience, like you can't feel what that person feels. And right. and sometimes people even have a hard time ex- ex- explaining to you how they're feeling, mm-hmm. you know? So having an outlet to even express themselves, um, especially with a vulnerable part of their body, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I talk about this? Like, there's a lot of shame. There might be a lot of shame. I'm not gonna generalize here, but there might be a lot of shame around these body parts and like, that you need help with them, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's something to kind of lay out there as well. But um, it's it's, essentially breaking down our own discomfort with talking about these issues and also using our hands again in a supportive way versus like, I'm going to fix you. This is exactly what's going on. Cause again, you're not doing the body justice by just saying it's a muscle issue mm-hmm. or a biomechanic issue, biomechanical issue. Mm-hmm. That's over way oversimplifying the situation. Right. We're talking about context and that person's meaning behind what's happening in their body and what they've been told about their bodies, mm-hmm. which oftentimes is negative. Right. Oh, this is what's wrong with you. Oh, you're jacked up and this and that and this and that. So they're coming in with all these pre-con- like these con- misconceptions about their body and how their bodies work, lessening their ability to, their confidence in their ability to do things. And I don't think that's right. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's right at all. I think we should really play on their strengths and, and use what they bring in to your office or to your your um, uh, session to wrap them up in their resources and build them up (laughs) and not deconstruct them down because it's not that simple. Again, people think things are very black and white that we can blame this or that, but we can't. There's so many things that are interconnected. And I always like to say like context, I just can't stress how much context plays into everything. Uh, But have you ever tried to tickle yourself? <laughs> Go ahead and try That's it, awesome. Jason. Ah. Try to tickle yourself. And everyone, just try to tickle yourself. Can you do it? No. Yeah, you're right. You know. You can't tickle yourself. <laughs> Why? <laughs> What's the difference between me doing this in my armpit and somebody else? It's because somebody else is touching me. Yeah, interesting. It's the social concept of tickling. Right. What are we fed? Right? Mm-hmm. Right. I've even noticed with my baby that if I go, so she's only eight and a half months old, so she hasn't built up a lot of these like patterns yet. Right. So if I just go like tickle her, it doesn't really, she doesn't get as excited as if I build anticipation first. Yes. And so I'm like, uh, <laughs> just with my voice, right? I don't even touch her or anything. Right. I'm like, uh, and then she goes nuts. And then all I have to do is poke her. Exactly, right? And right? Then, <laughs> right? And she so giggles. You, that's an important part you bring up. <laughs> Anticipation and expectations mm-hmm. very much so drive the outcomes of your experience. Interesting. What you've learned when you were a kid, mm-hmm. how you see people interact in certain situations, like painful situations, we're all conditioned to learn 
from everyone else. Nocebo, placebo, those yeah. are real things. Yep. And the more that those are conditioned and neurologically created into this framework or neural network, that's the, the process that's driving the response. Huge. It's huge, right? For super profound. So again, <laughs> if I go and touch someone and they expect me to, and you know, I'm going to dig in and this and that, we're just, we're just literally tapping. You know, if they're cringing on the table and going, "Oh, that hurt," you know, that hurts, but just get her done, you know, mm -hmm. like that kind of thing, you're actually reinforcing the same sympathetically upregulated process. Mm. Guard, tense, protect. Guard, tense, protect. Pain or whatever. Would you say that that tension and uh is one of the like a, a key theme that you see as an issue when it comes to pelvic health and performance i would say it's well tension we can define that in many different ways but it is a i like to look at it as more of a protective response and a protective mm -hmm. response is a withdrawal reflex of some sort mm -hmm. and that could also be expressed in facial expression mm -hmm. so their their other parts of their body might feel okay but their face will show me you know they'll mm -hmm. do the beaver face <laughs> or you know furrow their brow or something like that and right. so we you know their autonomic nervous system is telling us a story and consciously that person might be like this is good for me Mm -hmm, yeah, right. just do it. Right. I know it's gonna just just do it. I know it it's gonna so hurt. Good. It hurts so good, but their nervous system is telling you something different. Interesting. They're not relaxing. They're not letting go. And so, if you're pushing through that, you're feeding into that. Mm -hmm. The likelihood of getting better results, of them being more efficient and safer in their body, is less, because you're really not playing into to to changing the trajectory of the story. That's really interesting that the conscious and sort of subconscious can be different, right? So like that actually reflects a lot of why people get into HRV biofeedback to begin with is because a lot of times people are like, well, I'm fine or, you know, something like right. that, right? <laughs> their shoulders are up here, yeah. like to their <laughs> ears, right? Like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm and, good. Uh, I'm relaxed. I'm not, I haven't, I've breathed 30 <laughs> times in the last three seconds, <laughs> right. but I'm good. I'm no, good. And, uh, and then they... A lot of times, sometimes too, like we have a pretty wide array of people that come through our mm -hmm. doors, so to speak, our proverbial doors to use our app and tools from like Olympic level and professional mm -hmm. athletes to people managing chronic pain and health conditions. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they experience a lot of surprise in the condition of their nervous system even you know, like a lot of times they'll be like, but I'm a young and very fit athlete. Mm -hmm. And it says that I'm like three decades older than I should be. You know, if you're kind of extrapolating HRV to biological age. Um, and the only thing that once they kind of unpack it is that there's certain things like inflammation in the body and things like that that are contributing. But a lot of times too, it has to do with uh, disruptions and structural health as well. And I imagine this is again a hypothesis because the pelvis is not so widely spoken about. There's probably a lot of that intermixed into that as well. So, well, I, I can't speak to the research side of things on that, but I can only imagine again everything is connected. So it's it's really looking at the the whole person and the world that they're living in and their rea their own reality essentially it's like improv mm -hmm. they're coming into you with a gift and you accept that gift and add a little something it's not this or that it's this and that right yeah you. and that's a great point too as i'm kind of hypothesizing a little bit on what the mechanisms or causations are for individuals right but um in general i think the surprise of 
learning that they thought that they were one thing and their yes. bodies telling them something else yes. is is a very common theme that I see across the spectrum of people's mm -hmm. performance and health. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was, yeah, it seems that was a great example. Yeah, it was really <laughs> awesome. And I think that's great to, that you brought up about the experience of this is what they think is happening, but their body is doing something else. Like there's a disconnect, a sense of disembodiment, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I work with people, I try to connect that, their awareness of pre-sensations, sensations in their body and not being afraid of them, but but to show them that things do change mm -hmm. and they change very quickly in terms of neuroplasticity like that and bioplasticity. I didn't coin that term. Laura Mosley and David Butler, um, wonderful scientists, researchers on pain have a great book called explain pain and explain pain supercharge. If anyone's interested in diving into the geeky stuff, but really awesome. But they coined it, coined the term bioplasticity because really that's what it is. We're bioplastic. We're constantly changing. We're constantly adapting to information and our environment all the way down to our genetics. Like like even epigenetics, right? Like mm -hmm. the set of genes that you're born with doesn't necessarily mean you're doomed for the rest of your life, right. but your environment, your lifestyle and everything else can influence whether genes turn on or off and how they interact with the rest of your body. So I think just taking it in that perspective, but giving that person an experience when they come in to see you with um, something that's truly distressing them, you're one of the roles that I play is to show them that, hey, this experience can change. Mm -hmm. And it can change really quickly. There isn't one single path or a protocol or something, but the fun in it is to figure that out. Like yeah. what are your own ingredients for your secret sauce? And some of the tools I might give you might not work for you, but know that we've got more and you just got to try them on and be consistent with it. The other thing I think is people don't give themselves enough time. Right. Like maybe you find that with HRV where mm -hmm. they just do it a couple of times and they're like, eh, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, I like mean, that's like, it's, it's kind of almost <laughs> like hardwired into us in our busy lives and like we have so much going on. It's like, I just want a magic bullet or a magic, right. magic pill like, that I just want to do this one exercise that cures all my, you know, ailments. I wish that existed. Doesn't exist, guys. <laughs> I, I, I like the fact that you said that it's, it's fun to troubleshoot and figure it out. That's because right. to me, that's a, a mindset shift, right? And... Uh, one thing that people wouldn't be surprised about is that individualization or personalization mm -hmm. of care is sort of like a rising trend, right? That Super important. And so in, in, at like big uh, corporate levels, a lot of times that means like finding the drug for you. But basically at, at an individual level and when you're talking about this one-on-one -on -one deeper interaction with a practitioner – um, it's like detective work, right? Yes. And so it's like you're solving a puzzle together and the puzzle is deeply integrated into you. You're bringing <laughs> in your puzzle pieces <laughs> and we're just putting them together. Mm -hmm. You already have the pieces. That's the thing. You have the magic within yourself to heal yourself. No one's going to do that for you. We can nudge you in a certain direction. We can be the catalyst for certain things or to help you see the bigger picture. But ultimately, it's on you. Mm -hmm. And I think that scares people. Right. That responsibility scares people because it's much easier to be like, I blame you. You didn't do this. You did this. You caused this. You did this. It's all externally driven, but we're forgetting about the working in. We're mm -hmm. working out a lot, but we're not working in. I think that's important. Yeah, I like that too. And, and I like thinking about, so I like to, I like the Pumba motto of putting your behind in the past. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, or putting the past <laughs> behind Kuna you. Matata. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, 
And so I guess where I'm going with that is like, there could have been things in culture and society and um, relationships and things that had an external impact on you. And even maybe you got into like a car accident, for example, that wasn't your fault. And you can really hone in on those things. But following the Pumba model of putting your past behind you, it's, it's really hard to do. And I'm not trying to make light of it, but basically mm -hmm. the power to improve your condition from this point forward is in you, is in my opinion. That's right. Yeah, no magic hands or magic bullet or, you know, fascia blaster is going to do that. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and thank goodness because we wouldn't want our fascia to be stretched. <laughs> um, that's a huge t in, uh, structural thing that keeps everything connected. Um, but anyway, but yeah, I mean, it, the magic is in you. Yeah, essentially. And that's, I think, a really important, important point that you brought. Thank you. Yeah, what are the five S's again? Can you take us through those again? Uh, yes, the five S's. So support, stability, sphincteric control, which is just like closing mm -hmm. tubes that empty bowel and bladder, mm -hmm. sphincteric control, sexual appreciation, and sump pump. Sump pump. Yep. So just moving fluid through. Like yeah. for a guy, you know, mm -hmm. semen. Yep. That's pee. important. <laughs> 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 Gotta get those out at the right times and not at the wrong right. times. Exactly. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so stability and support sound similar to me. What's the difference? Uh, well, you're talking about like postural stability and support. I mean, um, stability in terms of having proximal distal stability, you know, in terms of a foundation, okay. uh, but support for pelvic organs, digestive organs that sit on top of the gotcha. pelvis. So mm -hmm. more of that all encompassing container uh, support. Okay. Yeah. I'm just breaking them down a little so that because mm -hmm. it's really cool to have those types of things, right? The five S's, right? Makes it a little bit easier when I'm going about my day-to-day -day life. <laughs> if I'm like, you know, which of the five S's should I be most concerned about in this scenario? That's not actually how I think, but... And no one should think about their pelvises or any part of their body for that matter, like, you know, like overly too much, you know what right, I mean? Like, right. it's just and not realistic. <laughs> that's actually a good point too, if we can go down that again, sure. is like... Um, I've done a lot of reading on psychology and like the human brain and things like that. And when we're talking about conscious and unconscious and the difference between a habit and like a conscious effort is that a conscious effort may be the right thing for a specific moment, but it's a really big cognitive load to like consciously be doing things all the time consciously. And, you know, I'm really harping on that word. Versus mm -hmm. things that happen unconsciously are easier and our bodies created these p natural habits and patterns to streamline our day-to-day -day lives. Right. And habits can be good or they can be bad. Right. And the key, I think, is to use just enough conscious behavior to shift your habit from a bad habit to a good habit. And then once you're there, that's where the ripple effect of really fast change happens. Absolutely. Nerves that fire together, wire together. Oh, cool. <laughs> so the path of least resistance, right? The more something you practice or the more these neurons fire in a certain pattern, the better you're at at firing, right? Mm -hmm. So right. that's the efficiency point, right? Like mm -hmm. the more you put in this code and this code is repeated over and over again, it's just on autopilot. Um, but it, but it's more, it's harder to deconstruct that certain neurological pattern or network, neural network, and create a new one. But that's 
hard with anything that you do yeah. that you try to learn something new right like mm -hmm. learning a new language or first day on a new job like you don't you're not really as efficient but then you kind of get into the groove of things and then you're not really thinking about it and so you bring up a good point jason is like well how much conscious living can we do and how efficient is it and i, th I think it's really down to the person of you know how am i living my life and is that and is this the way that i see my trajectory the life of the life that I want to live and engage in the world, is this how I want it to be? And if it's not, then making some shifts. And it's not about drastic shifts. I mean, some people like to dip their toe in the water before they kind of go in. Other people like to do cannon bombs. I mean, <laughs> right. cannonballs, whatever, you know, but it's just knowing how you like to, how you operate mm -hmm. and what works best for you and having support to do that because it's change is hard. Yes. Change is hard for all of us. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have the right, resources or the support to help us through that change we might find ourselves just going back to the same old habits because we're human right. um, so i think it's really important to equip yourself with resources that allow you to make those habit changes but from a neurological standpoint yeah the more you do something the more you practice something the really the the the, the easier things fire so you know again the more things that fire together they'll end up wiring together and you have a really strong connection now that can work for you or against you and in terms of pain the more that pain persists the better it gets at protecting you and the more sensitive you will be just mm -hmm. in, in without any tissue damage or harm right so it's just an interesting topic that you're bringing up so yeah the protectiveness like the natural you know, the body is so interesting in, in how it prioritizes short term versus long term also. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you think about like if you sprain your ankle, your body's naturally going to tell you don't step on that ankle. Right. In fact, use your other leg as much as possible. <laughs> and um, but if you al always favor that other leg and you never go back to using right. that ankle and you don't rehab it and things like that, mm -hmm. you might develop some sort of asymmetry that will then have a cascading effect potentially, you know, upstream and uh, from that ankle. And I just bring that up because it's a protective mechanism in the body that's keeping you from wanting to put load back on that ankle. Luckily, walking is a pretty like common and important task and it's mm -hmm. very easy to understand consciously. Mm -hmm. So you're like, yeah, I'm not gonna just hop on one leg the rest of my life, right? right. So it's a little easier to break that down, but it sounds like there's natural protective mechanisms that we might employ in our pelvis All the time. that might be harder to notice. Yes, because here's a great study, Vanderveld, I believe, and I'm sorry if I'm butchering the last name, but Vanderveld and colleagues, uh, the researchers of this study did a study on women and um, they had women who had vaginismus, which is a um, diagnosis used for um, the simplest way I could say is pelvic muscles are um, overly tight or um, overly active or non-relaxing. And some women might, might experience difficulty with any type of penetration or insertion, mm -hmm. okay? Um, so what they did was they had um, subjects who had vaginismus and um, women who didn't have, have that. And they um, put them in a room and they gave them um, clips of videos. Um, some were obviously very threatening, maybe um, you know sexually threatening, mm -hmm. uh, and others were very neutral. And what they found was that across the board in, the, in these two groups, whenever there was a threatening image on the screen, their pelvic muscles would naturally tense up. Wow. 
So subconsciously, mm-hmm. you have these processes driven for protection, right? Right, mm-hmm. and you'd be surprised, like throughout the day, if you like you're nervous uh, talking to someone, or you're getting frustrated or angry, and you feel these feelings. Tune into what your body is doing, and you'll know how you respond. Because again, everyone responds differently to different contexts, and it all depends. But this area is very protective and there is reflexively um reflexive things that happen there and i think just being more aware of like what your own body does you know mm-hmm. like before i started this podcast like i always get a little nervous like yeah. talking yep. and i f- i can feel my pelvic muscles tense and my butt cheeks clench yeah. and but that's those are sensations for me to be aware of like oh i know this is happening can i soften a little bit here right right because my body's responding to a stress but I can actually mitigate that response now that I'm aware of it. So being yeah. aware of something, consciously aware of something, isn't necessarily a bad thing if you use it to your advantage to like ease you into the situation. And that seems like that's a great point. And consciousness, the habit of being conscious is like a meta habit almost. It's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and if you, I've found two meta habits that's just, I'm going to be, this is not something that I've really well distilled in my how to communicate about it, mm-hmm. but basically the habit of change. So being good at change seems to be a meta habit that is beneficial because then you can adapt and change to the things around you more quickly. Um, and then change becomes something that gets less and less hard the more you do it and it's cross uh, domain. So basically change in your social, change in your work, change in your learning, change in your diet, change in lots of things can sort of translate to making other changes Mm -hmm. easier. Mm -hmm. And then the other is um, making a habit of consciousness. And so that actually decreases the load of being conscious about things, right? And, And what I'm the reason why I said I haven't distilled my ability to communicate about this subject and that I'm learning on the fly here as I communicate is because I don't necessarily mean like that if you're walking down the street, you should consciously choose where you put your foot every time on the sidewalk, for example, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But that being conscious or being able to become conscious if you have like a rock in your shoe mm-hmm. or if you happen to be noticing that you're like, favoring one leg and you, you know, something like that might be something that doesn't require a lot of cognitive effort right. if you've trained that habit of just paying attention. Exactly. Because then you could change it. Like you're saying, if you're paying attention, you can't change something you're not aware of. Right. You know, and so basically if you're aware of that and you know it's not serving you, then do something different. You can't do the same thing over again expecting different results. That's insanity, yes. right? Who said that? Albert Einstein, I think. I'm um, not sure. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> we'll fact check that for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but again, it's like Groundhog Day, like mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Bill Murray's movie, you know, like you can't, you can't, you know, keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So it's, it's up to the person to be able to have a realization and contemplate these things. Like, am I, am I doing what, the things that I'm doing, are they serving me? Are they conducive to my health? Are they, um, are they making me feel like I want to feel in the world and interact in the world? And if they're not, then let's see if we can change that. Um, yeah. So I think that's important. And yeah, consciousness, such a fascinating topic. It is. It's uh, what brings us all together here today. <laughs> the fact that we are conscious right. in general, right? Yeah. Um, and 
Interestingly, I just kind of also thought that making a habit of consciousness might become easier if you have a system to deal with what do you do when you become conscious of something, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it relates in one, on one hand to the emotional side of the equation where it's like, oh crap, I just became conscious that maybe I have a limp or I'm just trying to use examples that are easy to relate to, sure. right? So, or maybe I have... Um, some pelvic uh, something going on that I wasn't aware of before, right? Do I need to raise alarm bell, more alarm bells right now, right? Maybe not. You're just sitting at your, exactly. in your office and working, Great right? So mm -hmm. basically you don't have to immediately raise all the alarms. Right. Yeah. Right? Don't go to, go to, there's extremes, right? We're, we're often, humans often do that, right? We're, mm -hmm. we're like a pendulum, one extreme to another and right. it's finding equanimity. You know, again, the only person that will know when it's right for you to make that change is you and knowing what your baseline is and what makes you feel good and what doesn't feel good. And it's it really is looking in inward to figure that out or mm -hmm. at least have support to do that. But I think that's an important point. Like just because you notice a difference doesn't mean it's a pathology. Right. Not all asymmetries are bad. Mm -hmm. You know, if that were the case, we would never have the Paralympics. Yeah, and no one would play tennis and or baseball. And no one would play tennis or baseball. <laughs> like, come on, you know? And people adapt. And then that's here's the message that I hope I'm getting out there is that people are super resilient mentally and physically and adapt to situations because they have to, right. you know? I mean, you have to keep going. You have to, you're still alive. You're still surviving. And you have to adapt. It's how are we responding when we have to adapt? Mm -hmm. What is our mindset? And you mentioned that earlier in our conversation. What's the mindset around change? and and doing things differently or having to do things differently um, because i can guarantee you if you're doing with the mindset of resistance and not acceptance it's gonna be really hard it's gonna be really hard and you're in and you're really gonna slow down the progress of actually getting just easier in the flow if mm -hmm. you're if you're resisting it do you know what i mean yeah, right just accept it it's it's the situation w roll out the welcome mat because it's happening and you can't stop it right and, and walk on it, mm -hmm. you know? But if we're resisting it, the situation's still happening, but you're suffering more. Yeah, yeah. I, I Another analogy, just I like to jump between domains a lot, is um, a lot of people who uh, ask me about nutrition and mm -hmm. I say, well, I've eliminated a lot of things from my diet to kind of test out and see if they were negative for me and I'll usually try to put them back in later and see like that. and. They'll say like things like, oh, I just love cheese, though. So I actually don't want to know if it's hurting me. Like yeah. I'm at the opposite end of the pendulum almost to say like, I'm just going to keep eating it and kind of ignore the situation because cheese is delicious. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Because sure. like I said, or like you said, is that um, it's within the context of your life. You change is hard. Um, and but... It, finding a place down the road maybe it's not today or whatever um, or the support that you need or something like that to experiment with making that change often i think leads to better long-term results yeah and right? unfortunately it does take hitting quote rock bottom for someone to make that change because mm -hmm. essentially you could be advocating 
health and wellness promotion. We know that. We people people often know what they have to do. Yeah, true. You know, <laughs> they, they, let's let, let's be real here. Yeah, we all know what we need to be doing or what we should be doing. You mean sitting on the couch <laughs> for six hours a day while killing a gallon of ice cream <laughs> while watching Netflix <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> Every single day, right? Is, it's not good for me. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. And, uh, again, I don't want to. You know, I, it's we're laughing, and I I want to harp again, and I don't think either of us feel this way. No, we're not making fun of anyone. No, if you're listening there. Shit, doing I'll that. tell you, I'll be the first one to know. It's hard, and I've yeah uh, yeah we again we're all human and we all have our hardships and struggles with things at different intensities and different times in our lives yeah. and you know we're all in this together so yeah we're making light of this situation but know that you know there's some truth to that like we all struggle in making these changes and we know things are good for us uh, but we don't do them we choose not to do them and we still continue to do things that actually cause us more suffering and harm and right. it's just an interesting human predicament <laughs> it's it is it's really interesting you know because um, I want to stay sort of on topic, I guess, but the psychology side is just so fascinating yeah, because it, mm -hmm. it underpins so much with regard to mm -hmm. everything. And yeah, I, I guess I won't go down too far on the rabbit <laughs> hole on that. So <laughs> if I can ask you a practical question, sure. um, what's something that somebody can do to become more in tune with their pelvis? Just like the average person, a low risk kind of exercise like you said at the beginning of this mm -hmm. like doing shh and grrr you know something that's, like that right? yeah those are great ways to get awareness of what these muscles do and how to find these muscles but really honestly if if it's not bothering you i don't see a sense in like wanting to like you know hyper focus on this part of your body but you could essentially do strengthening of your pelvic mm -hmm. muscles right okay. and it's again it's not just about contracting but it's you know tensing squeezing and letting go squeezing and letting go and just you can even incorporate that to any body exercise that you do mm -hmm. to involve the pelvis because we do know that although the muscles around the pelvis synergistically work with the pelvic muscles themselves you're not going to strengthen the pelvic floor you're not going to strengthen the pelvic muscles by strengthening your abs right you're not okay, going to strengthen gotcha. your pelvic muscles mm -hmm. by doing a bunch of glutes glute sets right. so we we know that specificity matters mm -hmm. um but we just don't have the enough evidence to show what parameters like in terms of dose or repetition frequency intensity and stuff like that muscles love load just like any other part of your body and what again one of them is sexual function mm -hmm. uh, if that's part of someone's practice then you know awesome because that naturally happens when you have an orgasm or e uh, ejaculate uh, squeeze and release squeeze yeah. and release and that happens automatically um so you can essentially incorporate that into your everyday regimen if you wanted to if you're walking see if you could do like a hold like you're gonna hold back pee or stop to stop a fart you know we've all done that come right, on like right, we're in yeah. an elevator or we're somewhere where it's inappropriate to <laughs> pass gas yep. guess what While you're using your podcast no, right? I'm, I'm just kidding <laughs> you're using your pelvic <laughs> muscles Woo! you know and then you could just like smile a little bit because you're like nobody knows that you're doing it you know yeah. and that's the best part about the, these muscles it's like nobody knows that you're True. actually working on your pelvic floor um, <laughs> unless your eyebrows are going up and unless down unless your like, eyebrows are going up that's right good point yeah you want to make sure you're incognito and you're super you're just like really isolating and yeah so again you know we can and you can do that you can do 10 percent squeeze 25 percent squeeze 50 75 100 let it go again there's so many ways to load the pelvis i mean just look at bull riders 
hello (laughs) talk about loading the pelvis you know so you know the pelvis can tolerate a lot of load but uh, again it's all about what are your goals why why are you doing it what is the purpose of you doing it and how is it going to improve your overall function and life so you know i think it's it's working with someone so if you are struggling with some issues down there definitely getting in touch with a pelvic health therapist Mm mm-hmm a licensed qualified practitioner who can help you um, navigate the, the questions that you have and, and your goals for improving your overall function and well-being and quality of life. So, yeah, that's huge. And I, you know, I think when you talked about just for fun, almost doing experiments of like uh, flexing and releasing or relaxing and adding tension, like to me, that's one of the a simple thing that you could learn so much from, yeah. in my opinion, because yeah. there's so many diverse movements that we all do, or uh, people maybe consider lack of movement that they do as well, but sitting and standing and pretty much everything except lying completely <laughs> unconscious <laughs> is actually uh, movement. Yes, right? absolutely. And so w- when you look at a baby, again, relating it back to my life, she's uh, my eight mo- and a half month old baby is pretty much walking now and crazy <laughs> we're not ready for it but uh <laughs> but basically when she's learning to stand it gives you a window into how you actually learned to stand and it's all about correcting balance it's not about being still right right and so it just looks still because we're so dang good at it now after right. practicing our whole lives right. you can stand pretty darn still but in reality you're making micro adjustments all the time and you're trying not to fall over both directions right. or all directions, right? Right, right. And you're practicing, so you fall, but you get back up. Imagine if, right. imagine what kind of beings we would be if we gave up at the first couple tries. Because <laughs> it's like, screw yeah. this shit. Uh, this is hard. Yeah. I'm falling on my face, and this is terrible. Like, looking at kids is actually a beautiful way to kind of see, like, where did, why, where have we gone wrong? <laughs> you know, why mm-hmm. where have we lost that? Just because we're adults. That still applies. Be playful in your movement. Don't give up. You know, it's hard. Change is hard. Learning how to walk is hard. Yeah. And you're going to fall a hundred times a day, Mm -hmm. but you don't give up. And so that's what what you were talking about, Jason, in terms of that diversity, the adaptability, um, change, uh, being able to be adaptable with change. I mean, if we didn't have that inherently as as a species, we would not be here having this conversation. That's huge. And it's... Relating it back to that practical exercise of practicing tension and relaxation, mm-hmm. it's probably best if you're new to that type of uh, way of thinking to do it in like a quiet, non-distracting mm-hmm. environment so you can really kind of tune in. Mm-hmm. But then once you get at the hang of it, um, and again, you probably can speak to this better than I can, but it seems like something you could practice and do anytime. Like driving the car or Anytime. at your desk or um, walking or exercising. Yep. Anytime. And breathing. That's breathing. another tool. Oh, HRV, I love that. That's a right? great example. Like just yeah. slowing down your breath. And But again, it's awareness of, am I driving? And my fists are like fisticuffs, you know, on the tr- on the steering wheel. Why? Right. You know, and, and just consciously being like, oh, I'm recognizing that. Okay, we'll soften into that a little bit. And so then you begin to recognize, you begin to heed the signs of your body because mm-hmm. your body's speaking a language. <laughs> and, and, you know, sometimes it takes a little deciphering, but it also takes courage to be able to look inward, to be able to pinpoint on those things. So I think, I think that's super important. But yeah, once you're aware of like, why am I holding myself in this, you know, is this, is this protection really needed right now? Right. You know, do I need to be breathing very labored or, or, um, you know, have tension built up in my body? Like, no, 
No, mm-hmm. and if you can soften a little bit, even in that moment, high five for you. Because right. that is, you changed it. Yeah. You changed it. Yeah, that's huge. So. Change a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time, <laughs> even in the pelvis. Even in the pelvis. <laughs> yeah, there was uh, actually also, even from like a business perspective, an investor said to me recently, uh, think big, but act small. Mm. And so, um, you know, it's... It's good, I think, in a way, if we translate that to this conversation to think where you are today could be very different from where you are in the future. And it may seem intimidating to think about that, all the things that have to happen to get you from where you are to where you want to be. But it's the small incremental changes that create that ripple effect, right? That's right. One foot in front of the other. You're always changing. It's always happening whether you like it or not. (laughs) Just look at your pictures from when you were... 5, 10, 16, 18, and even the way you were thinking. Yeah. I hope it's not the same. But, you know. Like, yeah, right. Like <laughs> Before a, and after freshman year. No, right, exactly. <laughs> right, right. You, we, we, you, we all know. We can all relate to that, I'm pretty sure. So, like, yeah, exactly. Like, change is always happening. Um, and, yes, life circumstances, we can't control those many times. And there's a lot of uncertainty to life. And there's a lot of uncertainty to what happens to us. But um, we do have control over our mind and how we respond to those situations. And it does take practice. And you do it with the little things. Mm-hmm. And there's support out there. There is. There's, tons. There's communities too, I'm sure, of people mm-hmm. that... Uh, you know, one of the things that really stands out to me in this is that I also read this about autoimmune conditions. If you look around you as you're walking around or you're at your office or at school or wherever you, you know, see other people that like there's a good chance that a lot of the people around you have an autoimmune condition of some sort and it just goes undiagnosed a lot of times or it's subclinical even Mm -hmm. or they just hide it and don't talk about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And this strikes me as another one of those uh, areas where um, whether it's, uh, directly related to pooping, peeing, or sex, or just some type of smaller, um, more harder to detect uh, issue going on around the pelvis, is that you're most likely not alone. And in fact, if you walk around day to day, there's probably people all around you that have similar issues and may may not be the same exact scenario for you. And they may not even know it, but when you kind of find a way to open up, you might find there's more support around you than you think. Yeah, And absolutely. then the last piece, which I think I'm a big fan of this, is that if you can, if you can, if you're trying to make any change in your life, finding somebody to help guide you through that yes. is really key. Get a coach. Get a coach, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I make a technology solution that helps a lot of people with a lot of things, But I've always said from the beginning, it's not going to replace your coach or at least a good coach, right? right? Mm -hmm. It can help that coach even. Mm -hmm. It can give more data to you and more data to the coach, right? But there's just so much importance in human interaction and finding somebody who's gone, uh, created a conscious path uh, for you to get from where you are to where you want to go. It's just so powerful. Very much so, especially when we're struggling with a difficult situation in our lives. I like to use this analogy of there's a shit storm happening and yeah. there's uh, two ways to kind of experience that shift storm. Behind a glass window pane 
right? No shit on you. You're good. It's still happening. Or you can be actually in the shit storm outside. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Getting shit on. That's not a good idea. Right? So you can't just perspective taking, right? Like it's happening, but you know, what's your, where, how are you observing it? What's your viewpoint? Right. So. Well, I'll leave you folks with two things. One is that I have a new goal and that goal is for me to become more aware of what my pelvis is doing while I'm breathing specifically. I breathe quite often, so I may not actually think about it all the time that I'm breathing, but I try to actually be conscious of my breath anyways. And this might be a way for me to do what's called habit stacking. And so I've already created a habit around being aware of my breath. I'm going to try to stack on a habit of saying, when I'm thinking of my breath, what is my pelvis doing? Yes, and think about it. And <laughs> I, if I may add to that, because sure. I think that your listeners and, and you, this might help you as well, um, is what happens when you take a deep breath to your pel- mm. like to the pelvic diaphragm? Mm-hmm. Think about it as a, as a trampoline. When you take a deep breath, or, or you can take your whole body as a torso, right? Mm-hmm. If you take a deep breath into your torso, or like a balloon, there's so many analogies, but maybe I'll stick with the <laughs> balloon. Okay, I'm gonna stick with the balloon. Body, if, you're, if your whole torso is like a balloon, and you take a deep breath in, you filling up the balloon, what happens to the bottom of the balloon mm. it expands outward right and if it lengthens it. if you let it right <laughs> if you let it if you trust the process and that's a normal thing again mm-hmm. there's a transference of pressure and that's um, to accommodate for the, the new change in load right mm-hmm. of pressure and then when you breathe out what happens when you let the air out of the balloon comes back up mm-hmm. and so that's a natural flow of like when you take a deep breath in and breathe out there should be a sense of like expansion and a recoil of what you feel in, in the pelvis. It's very subtle. And, and again, don't freak out if you're not doing it. If you feel like you can't feel it, you can put your hand down there to sense it. Yeah. Close your eyes and visualize it. Um, visual imagery is very helpful. And also, you know, just reach out to a pelvic therapist if you're just curious about learning about this part of your body because believe it or not, most people will tell you, yeah, I'm, I totally know what my pelvic floor muscles do. And very little of them are actually aware of, of how to do it correctly. Yeah, you know, <laughs> They'll say they have good, but there's a discrepancy in that. Like they're not really doing their pelvic work correctly. So that's where, that's why I'm kind of had that new goals because I picture <laughs> myself as being one of those people that's like, yeah, I mean, I've got general awareness of things going on down <laughs> there, but now I have a new tool in my toolkit yeah. to learn and experiment and like st- stacking on those habits, I, I try to be aware of breathing in different scenarios. So I'll do it during exercise, I'll do it when I'm at my desk, do it when I'm in you know, public speaking yeah. or in a conversation Doing like this. Doing it right this. now. Exactly, right. Right. <laughs> um, if I'm really tired at the end of the day and I just wanna lounge, you know, try to see what's going on. But leading, you know, bringing us back around to uh, the excitement that I had bringing you on the show is that you distill these messages down so well. Obviously, you've put a ton of thought into it. And I know that you have online content that people can Mm -hmm. find too. So maybe we can wrap with where can people find you and find more information about your work? Yeah, thank you so much for the shameless plug. Yeah, of course. The best uh, resource is my website, drsuzieg.com. That's D-R-S-U-S-I-E-G.com. I have a podcast. I have a book called Pelvic Pain, the Ultimate Cock Block. I'm currently working on the second edition. Uh, but all that information can be found on my website and on the social media platforms. I'm on Instagram at doctor with a period, D-R period Susie G. Facebook and Twitter at Dr. Susie G. No period. Sorry. 
couldn't get the no period for the Instagram. <laughs> it was already taken. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Yeah, I'm sure drsuzyg.com is a good yeah. starting point, right? And That's right. People can link out to your Absolutely. stuff. We're going to put links to that at elitehrv.com slash podcast as usual. And Susie, it's been awesome. Like, Thank you. you know, I have to admit, if I can like be vulnerable as well, yeah. which is a habit I've been trying to build up as well. And I will say that the more you practice vulnerability, the more confidence it instills. It's been a really weird journey for me. And I'm not necessarily sure that I had a huge issue with it to begin with, but I felt a difference. And I noticed going into this podcast, I wonder if I'm going to feel awkward in this podcast, Mm -hmm. right? And like, we're already friends. Like I've already been exposed to your work and your line of thinking, but this is the first time that we've sat down face to face and dug into it with lots of people listening to, you know? So I'm like, where am I going to go with this? And I just felt the same energy that I was expecting, luckily, which is that this is a subject that I don't need to feel so much tension about. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not even talking about me, and I felt tension about it, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know if that's just hopefully helping people out there if you're like, is this something I need to be worrying about? And maybe you can gain a little bit of... Uh, you know, encouragement from that. Absolutely. Just ask. You're not alone. So yeah. yeah. com. Susie, thanks so much. Thank <laughs> you so much, Jason. Thanks to all the listeners. Bye. Cool. Woo. That was fun. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was really fun and a very not one of the best. Um, I think the inter the per the in person recording is. So